Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I know I can lead men. I know I know the game of football and I'm passionate about it. I spent 14 years in a locker room. I went to the playoffs 12 times. I got five dudes in the Hall of Fame that I play with. You don't think I've seen greatness? Welcome back. 1% Better. This is Zach Kiefer joined by James Boyd. It has been a whirlwind of the season. The good news, we don't have to watch the Colts play anymore. You guys don't have to watch the Colts play anymore. We don't have to write about the games anymore. Terrible season came to an end on Sunday with a 32-31 to Lost to the Texans. A surreal finish, really. I've seen some shit this season. That ending was unbelievable, but it doesn't matter. We don't need to get into the Houston Texans game. We need to get into where this franchise goes from here because there's so many questions to answer. James, and we had an opportunity this week to sit down with Jeff Saturday on Monday and Chris Ballard on Tuesday to get their thoughts on this season, to get their thoughts on the next step forward. And I thought, let's just start here. These were two very different press conferences. On Monday, I heard very little accountability of what went wrong. And I understand there's a lot of nuance and context to that, to where Jeff Saturday walked in. If I get this job, there's going to be significant change. You know, the way I do things is not the way things, you know, necessarily have been done. I have my own way. And so I think that's the part that, you know, as you're as you're thinking about the way you want to run an organization as the head coach, that would be my responsibility. You know, when I came in, I'm thrust into how things have been done, you know, for the past however many years. And I'm appreciative of that and, and the work that they've done and the success that they've had, but it will look different. And so, you know, understanding that that's, that's been part of my learning lesson, Chap, right? Is I've, I've looked at the things that I really like about what we do and the things that I don't necessarily like that we do. And there has to be, uh, you know, to, to lead an organization, there has to be alignment from all of us, from Mr. Ursay and Ballard and myself and, and the entire organization of how this thing looks. And, and as a leader, if you don't have that, um, I don't think you'd be effective. And so there are things that I would definitely do differently. And I think that's expected no matter if it's me or somebody else, right? There's, there's going to be change. And so when I look at that, I, I, I'm, I, again, I assigned the last eight weeks as incredible value that I can, I can learn what I, what I want to do and what I don't want to do and how to make those changes. I think it gives me a very unique perspective that hopefully I can use you know, to better the team, better the organization. And on Tuesday, I heard the opposite. And really, there was no other play for Chris Ballard because he screwed this up. And his first words were, I failed. Look, I failed. I'm not going to sit up here and make excuses. Failed a lot of people. Highly disappointed you know, about where we're at, how the season went. You know, I never take lightly what's at stake here. It's not, you know, the wins and losses, but, you know, people's lives are on the line. Players' families, coaches' families, front office, people in this building, and I don't ever take that lightly. And, you know, I'm disappointed. Um, disappointed where we're at, and ultimately, it falls on my shoulders. 
I won't walk away from that. I won't run from it. Saying that, we'll grow from it. And I'll grow from it. And I'll get better because of it. You know, unfortunately, you know, our greatest moments of growth and greatest times of growth happen in the darkness. You just got to keep your eyes open and see the light. We had some rough moments, you know, this season thinking about, you know, where we're at and how we got where we're at, the mistakes I have made. There's only one way to, you got to go through it. You know, you can't avoid it, can't go over it, can't go on it. I mean, you got to go through it. It's the only way you're going to grow. I believe in our people. I believe in our processes. We have really smart, good people in this building. I believe going forward we'll prove that. I know there's doubt. There should be. Absolutely there should be. The criticism. It's warning. Criticism, you know, regarding my job and what I've done, it's warning. But I'm still, I've not lost any confidence in what we can build here. You know, we live in a world where failure is not allowed. It's not allowed. You fail in this world, and we're doing it at the biggest stage. When you fail in this world, you get canceled. And everybody wants your head, and and rightfully so in some cases. But if you're able to go through it and grow from it, you can reach your greatest heights, and I think we will. All the things written and said, and I think most of it's warranted, we didn't perform well enough, and it falls on me. What did you take away, and did it change your perception on how the next couple of weeks will go with this coaching search? I'll start with Jeff Saturday. I was a bit shocked that he pulled a complete 180 from where he was when he first started. He was saying how much you know, the wins and the losses are going to be attached to his name. And, you know, if I'm no good after eight games, I'll say, God bless you. You know, I'm no good, whatever, whatever. But it was an about face. And now he's basically saying, well, you know, it's not my fault. I came here. I couldn't change much. And I felt like his pitch or lack thereof was give me the full time job and then you'll see. And it's like, no, it's not how this works. Like you don't go into an interview for a job at any level in life most of the time and say, Hey, you know, they ask you, what can you bring to the table? What can you improve? What can you do? And you say, oh, you know, I know you asked him about this. What can you sell the team on as far as, you know, keeping the job as a permanent head coach? And he says, I'm going to keep it close to the vest. What interview room can you walk into and say, oh, I know you have questions about what I can do. Just give me the job full time. Then I'll tell you, like, that's not how this works. So I feel like his lack of accountability was a bit jarring and didn't help his case, obviously. I think if he owned at least some of it. Um, it would have came off at least a little more real. And then with Chris Ballard, as you said, he had no way out. I mean, he's also been here longer than Jeff Saturday, so he couldn't use the same excuses as I'm coming to someone else's mess. But I do feel like the biggest takeaway from both days was that if Jeff Saturday is hired as the full-time head coach based off of Chris Ballard's comments, it will not be his decision. I know he's leaving the search. But as we know, the first time when Jeff Saturday was hired, as we all knew just common sense wise, it was not his choice. We got more clarity on that yesterday that Jim Ursay, they agreed to disagree and he has the, you know, the overruling say in all of this. But I do think that, you know, Ballard wasn't really high on Jeff Saturday to begin with. He's not high on him now and we'll wait and see what happens. But I do think if Saturday is hired as the full time permanent coach, we all know who made that decision. There's been this strange intentional or unintentional push 
by this organization to lay blame at the feet of Frank Reich. More and more over the last couple months. Ursa is guilty. Now, Ballard's not as guilty, but that's what I took away from Monday's press conference. Now, Jeff Saturday's tone has changed in the last couple of weeks. What have we heard over and over? Well, you're not hiring a coach midseason unless it's bad. That's not what we heard in November from Jeff Saturday. We heard, I'm going to be about wins and losses. That's what this is about. That's what coaching's about. This team got better in no conceivable way. Everybody out there knows that. Everybody who watched this team saw this team collapse. And context is important. I don't think any coach was going to walk in here and go 7-1 and one or 5-3. and three. But the fact that they collapsed the way they did, melted down, are Chris Ballard's words in the biggest moments, is a reflection of Jeff Saturday. And Jeff Saturday came here because, as you have mentioned, he came here because Jim Irsay likes him. Not because he was qualified, not because he was the right choice. He came here because Jim Irsay likes him. And he was brought here to bring accountability. And to some degree, from the people that I've talked to inside the building, that has happened. I think the offensive line got a little bit better. Let's say Bernard Raymond got a little bit better. I think he did. That's good. That's good for the future of the franchise. Would he have got better with Frank Reich? Probably. That's usually what left tackles who are rookies do. They get better as the season goes. But that's sort of a side point here. The point is, Jeff Saturday isn't doing the one thing he was brought here to do, which is be accountable for what happened. And I understand that this was an unprecedented situation and it was going to be an uphill climb no matter what. But all I heard on Monday was excuses, was excuses as to why this didn't go better. And then if you give me a chance to build my own staff, it's going to be better. And maybe he's right. Let's, let's just give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's right. It'll be way better if he gets a full offseason. But then again, Ballard yesterday was saying, you know, things were broken. You know, we were doing bad habits in March and April. And that's not what I heard back then. And I know you were new to the beat, James, in August, but that's not what I heard. That's not what I heard. And to blame this on Frank Reich and the habits that were created is BS in my mind. Now, Frank's hands were dirty. We know this. We know this. And the team had stalled out, especially offensively with Frank. That's, mm-hmm. that's not a debate here. But to just shift this on the former coach and to say the new coach had nothing to do with the decisions late in the season that led to effing terrible football is just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. And so that was my takeaway, the digression between Monday's press conference with Jeff Saturday and Tuesday. And I'm going to say this is my opinion, but I think it's pretty well known. No way Chris Ballard is finishing his coaching search and recommending Jeff Saturday. No way. Now, if Jeff Saturday becomes a coach, we know why. Would you agree with that, James? Absolutely. I, you know, I just said it. You repeated it. And it's what everyone in that room, everyone outside of that room, everyone in the world, I feel like who's covering the phone, <laughs> right. understands. It's obvious. And I'll say this. I know you said if Jeff Saturday the benefit of the doubt. No, I will not. I'm sorry. You signed up for this. And that's the part that I feel like he didn't address. You were not forced into this role. You had a choice. And you chose this. You don't need to pursue the full-time job either. Like, isn't there a little bit of ego involved in this? Like, Jeff, you said, I don't mean to cut you off, but you said when you took this job, if I'm no good, if I'm terrible, after eight games, I will say thank you, God bless you, and I will leave. Jeff, the facts are you were terrible, the team was terrible, and yet you still think you can fix this, although there's no tangible evidence that supports that. To that point about ego, I do think that, and I'll say it like it is, there is a level of arrogance in some of his responses. 
I know you asked him, hey, you're going to be going up against candidates who have been OCs, have been DCs, have been, you know, positional coaches, have experience and credentials that, quite frankly, outrank yours. And his answer was, and I'm paraphrasing, but the gist of it was, you know, I'll tell you about OC, I'll tell you about DC. He was like, basically, if I had been a, a positional coach or, you know, or uh, an, an LC or DC for five years, seniors in the NFL, it doesn't matter, you know, because I only want to be a head coach. I have no interest in doing those other jobs. Like that, he said. And I don't think Jeff's trying to make this, but I think it's a slap in the face to assistant coaches and all of those guys who have grinded for years. A lot of which, a lot of which were great former players. Yes. And that's the part where I'm like, then what do you want to do? If he says, I'm going to hire an OC, I'm going to hire a DC, I'm going to hire a special teams coordinator. Yeah, you need to. You need to. And he's like, you know, and then my job at that point becomes, how can I empower them? Dude, they can hire other coaches who have more experience and actually more schematic input into like the offensive defense special teams who can empower players just as much as you. And I think that's the part that rubs people the wrong way, or at least for me it did, because I'm like, wait a second, you skipped the line before, and now you're saying it doesn't even matter even if you were brought in as an interim coach and you didn't have to go through the whole interview process, that basically if you were going to coach at all in the NFL, it was only to be a head coach. How ridiculous does that sound? And yeah, I don't field, like that. Basically saying, I want to be the CEO, I want to be the top without having to do any of the other work. And I understand you're a great player. I understand that you did this for a long time. I'm doubting his football knowledge and how much he cares about it. But there is a level of arrogance that I believe would be detrimental for this franchise if they give him the keys to really do this thing as a full-time permanent head coach. And we ended yesterday's presser and we asked it probably six or seven different ways how to just Saturday, you know, improve this team. And after some tough questions, I threw Chris Ballard a softball and said, hey, okay, I understand he's been given a tough hand. But what can you point to to say this is where he improved this team? And we joked about this. His answer was kind of like the, Je the Jim Irsay answer that I got when I asked, you know, why is he the best for the job? And Jim Irsay says, well, you just said he's the best fit. Chris Ballard, his response yesterday when I asked, what did Jeff Saturday improve with this team? He tells me that Jeff Saturday improved. That's not what I asked. That's not an answer to my question. You know, you want to know why he couldn't answer my question? Because he and Jeff Saturday both know he didn't improve anything. And credit to Nate Atkins, Andy Starr, for asking this question. Great question about Kayvon Thibodeau and his celebration. You know, he asked Chris Ballard, you know, you, you always preach toughness up front. How did you feel when you saw your, your, your quarterback down there injured and your offensive line did nothing? Took the longest pause ever. That and then to another one of your questions we'll get into. He pauses and, and he's mulling over his answer. I can tell he doesn't want to disrespect any of his players. But he was downright embarrassed and, and mad that no one jumped in to at least show some fight, which in the grand scheme of things, to me, both of Jeff Saturday's selling points were going to be accountability, which he lacked, you know, in his you know, end of season presser and then toughness. Even if you lose, you can say, hey, before I got here, these guys were just taking you know, crap from everybody. I got here. They at least fought or, 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 or got down and dirty or did something. We, we got to joke how I grew up. It's like, you know, you, you lose the, lose the game, don't lose the fight. You know, they lost both every week under Jeff Saturday. And so if you can't sell toughness and accountability, then you have nothing. And I thought, you know, when you asked him, Hey, what are you going to be able to sell? And he says, I'm going to keep it close to the vest. I'm not going to reveal that. Had they been seven and one, had they just won three or four games, three games. He would have said something to the effect of what I've done to improve this team. We all know when you blow the biggest lead in NFL history, when you lose like you did in Dallas, when you show absolutely no ability to compete against the Giants or the Chag or the Chargers, and then you lose in epic fashion against the Texans, 
that you have no legs to stand on whatsoever to prove they're deserving of a head, co a head coaching job at any level, you know, not any level, but any franchise, let alone this one. So I think that the only reason he will get an interview is like we've always said, because you're friends with Jim Irsay. Two things on this. I think that Jeff Saturday's shine has dimmed a little bit within the organization. I don't think he's as hot of a candidate as he was maybe three or four weeks ago. Now, I'm not promising anything. We know who makes this final decision, and he's as unpredictable as anyone in this league. But I think the reality is staring them in the face. And I think Chris Ballard, although he has screwed up plenty, and his hands are dirty on this mess, he's not an idiot. He has to be looking at the situation and saying, there is no chance in hell I'm going to bet my GM career with this franchise on Jeff Saturday as a head coach, right? Like that's so basic and fundamentally obvious. But again, we don't cover a normal team and we don't cover a functional franchise at this moment. It's, it's in disarray. And here's the other thing, James, and we've talked about this a lot with the guys in the media room. When we ask questions to players about what Jeff Saturday did to make this team better, the answers are very telling because both things are true. They like Jeff Saturday. He's a good dude. He's a great Colt. One of the best players this franchise has ever had. He's a good leader. He's a good speaker. He'd be a fun guy to have a beer with. But you ask him that question, and Matt Ryan pauses for three or four seconds and says, well, he's, he's really motivating. He's a good leader. We can definitely tell that he comes to work every day. That's his job. That's it? You should come That's every it. day. I mean, I asked Mo Ali Cox, who's been here for, through, you know, like he pointed out, eight or nine quarterbacks, six or seven years. And Mo said, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Now, Darius Leonard, Shaq Leonard, did come out and say, look, I love Jeff. He's, he's really good. He came into a tough situation. So some guys are saying that. But when no one brings up his coaching credentials and how he made the team better, that's very telling to me. Because you ask every single player in this league, no matter where they play on the field and no matter what city they play in, what do they want from coaching? They want a coach that will get the best out of them and that will get the best out of the team, that will put them in the best position to succeed. And in no way did Jeff Saturday do that with this team this year. I'm not breaking any news here. Everybody knows this that watched this team this season. But it's very telling. Not a single player, not a single player, and I asked all of them over the last couple of weeks, told me something that got better from schematic or coaching or anything-wise in the last eight weeks. And the results tell you that. Yeah, and, and I do think that there's something to be said about the accountability aspect. A lot of players you know, talked about, hey, he will call you out even if you're the best player. I know Shaq really harped on that. I think they needed that. I think that's I, I like that. a boost. I think you, But I think you can find that in other coaches as well. So that's the one thing that really came across for me. And then you, you contrast that with guys over in, you know, Carolina. They're saying, hey, Steve Wilkes, we want him this to be our guy. You know, this are, these are players saying this to the public. Like, hey, bring they? him back. Once, we want him. Six and six. Yeah. Right. I asked DeForest Buckner the same question. Should Jeff Saturday be your head coach coming back? And he's like, you know, I appreciate what he did. And, you know, he's given a tough hand, but that's not my decision to make. That's different than saying we want our guy. And again, had they had some success and really just not the complete and utter, you know, utter embarrassing losses that they did have, then maybe you feel differently. If you find a way to just win two more games, which they could have, you know, so given some of these. These guys were embarrassed by the end. They were embarrassed. They have talent on this roster. Ballard's right. The cupboard isn't bare. Like, they're not a great team, but they certainly have players. And for it to end the way it did, they couldn't even beat the Texans. Like, that's shameful. And these guys are tired of that, and they should be. Yeah, he mentioned it, and you can expand on this because I believe you don't, you're the one who asked the question, but he said something along the lines of our competitive confidence 
just broke late in the season. And we saw that in real time. It broke like for good. Levy broke, no repairing that in Minnesota. Yeah. And after that, they never And that's the thing. I think that the way to his credit, Chris Bell phrased that and explained that was pretty good. Like their effort is there. I can't doubt these guys' effort. Like you look in the locker room at the last game, they were not trying to tank. I mean, Rodney Thomas is fighting back tears. Like he cares. Zaire Franklin is playing through an ankle injury. DeForest Buckner, my God. When we got his injury list, it was like half his body. Exactly. But then to that point, it didn't matter because at some point, just mentally, you're going to lose that confidence that you can come back or you can when you can make a play because it seems like every time they got that close, and believe me, the, the Texans game the second time around was the epitome of that. You're that close to getting a win, and it literally slips through your fingers. And so I didn't even think that team could blow that lead. Seven points against the Texans with a fourth and 12 and a fourth. I, I didn't even think they could blow that lead. Yeah, it was it was comical. So and little did I, it was the perfect bow on, an, on a perfect mess. That's what it was. Yeah, I mean, it was the final sticking point to a season that all of them would like to forget or probably never will because – this was and, and Chris Bell said they're one of the worst teams in football. Their 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 roster construction, which he has to own. I know he touched on that, you know, yesterday as far as they were kind of thrust in a unique position with the Andrew Luck retirement. And he did say there were times where they probably could have gone out to get a young quarterback and stabilize this thing sooner, but they didn't. And the Philip Rivers decision wasn't a bad one. You know, you good record, make the playoffs. But the ones since then, which he has to own, um, have kind of come back to fire to bite him in the, in the button and so and have backfired. And so I do think that there's no question they're going to draft a quarterback in the draft, which is why I asked if Matt Ryan's going to be on the team next year. I know he couldn't answer that, but hey, at the off chance that maybe you will, I, I had to ask. It's no secret. He will not be back here next year. There's no way they're paying $35 million to be on the team as the bridge quarterback. I mean, you can find bridge quarterbacks for less. And I just don't think that Matt Ryan himself i don't know if he would want to i'm not I'm not speculating for him i'm not putting more than his mom just saying me personally i don't know if he would want that just because of how things have gone and to be honest the disrespect that he was shown the first time he was benched the second time i get it but that first time that's when the season really started to shift i mean at one point in the season they were three two and one they had just beat the jaguars and you look up you know 10 weeks later or whatever it is and the jaguars are in the playoffs and that's the team that you beat, you know? And so it, it just feels like beyond, you know, Jeff Saturday, there is some bigger, larger issues at play here. Obviously, the head coach will have a lot to do with how this team moves forward, but just structurally and then contracts, you know, JT's up for an extension, Pitt's up for an extension. I thought both answers were on, on both players are pretty intriguing. JT wasn't too surprising. He, you know, Chris Ballard said, hey, this is the guy who's special. We, we He said it in the past, we pay our special players. Pitt, you know, gets he gets asked flat out, hey, Chris, is Pitt a number one? Well, what's number one? There's your answer. He's not number one in his eyes. Because if, if you ask that question flat out about Justin Jefferson, about, you know, Devontae Adams, about any other one in the league, obviously those guys are like the elite of the elite. Um, even like a Christian Kirk type, you're probably going to say, oh, he's a, he's a one. Couldn't say that this year for Pitt. And I get it. Like a lot of that was hampered by the QB play. The changes to the offensive coordinator, they had three different play calls in three weeks at one point. And so I feel like I'm rambling, but that's how this season has kind of gone because it's so many different changes. But now, you know, all of the ownership, front office, all these people have to put their big boy pants on and fix this thing.
Two things before we move into Bout. I want to get into his press conference yesterday because it's the first time we really heard from him since August. We heard from him the night Saturday was hired, but not a lot. <laughs> heard. Um, you mentioned Philip Rivers, and, and Mo Ali Cox said something interesting yesterday. He said, man, if Rivers would have come back for that second year, I think we would have gone to the Super Bowl. That's just him talking. I thought that was interesting. They wouldn't be on this hamster wheel right now, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, et cetera. And then secondly, this is the vibe I've been getting from people in and around the organization. Ballard's coming back. That's no longer up for debate. He's running this show right now until they decide on a coach. What people want who are connected to the Colts is Chris Ballard to make all the decisions moving forward. They want Chris Ballard to hire the next coach, and they want Chris Ballard to pick the next quarterback. They don't want the owner to supersede and step in like he has in the past. Because what has that done? That has just further derailed this team. Now, they weren't going anywhere anywhere this season. But the fact that Jim, like someone made a joke the other day, like Matt Ryan was, what, four and seven and one as the, as the coach quarterback. You know, Sam Ellinger was 0-3 and, and Nick Foles was 0-1 and, and Jim Mercer was 0-2 because of the way he stepped in after that Tennessee game. But the consensus is if, if Chris Bauer is going to stay, and he is, let him make the calls. Let him pick the coach. Let him pick the coach he's going to work with. Let him pick the quarterback that they're going to build around. And I think it's really important they pick the right coach and marry that coach with the next quarterback. And that goes without saying. But James, this is still your first year on the beat. And you haven't been to a lot of Chris Ballard press conferences before. This was different. This was this was different. Anytime he starts the press conference with these two words, I failed. It's different. And, and Chris is a little bit of a politician. And he says what the fans want to hear a lot of times. But... I thought we pushed back in a lot of senses yesterday. Didn't let him slip through the cracks on some of his answers. This is a mess. It's a mess of his own making. And this is what I wrote yesterday after I watched it. And I've been watching these for six years now. This was Chris Ballard, humbled like never before, ashamed and apologetic, speaking at the lowest point of his six-year tenure as Colts GM. Warranted, he called the criticisms, stubborn and dogmatic, he labeled himself owning up for some of the decisions that sabotaged this season. I know there's doubt. I know there's criticism. He said, there should be. I fired myself 50 times this year. Did you buy what he was saying yesterday as genuine? And do you think the lessons learned this season will change the way he runs this franchise? Yeah, I thought the premise of what he said was genuine. And I thought that he cares. I don't doubt that at all. But I thought the most telling part of some of his responses was that he's, you know, dogmatic and a bit stubborn in the way he's built this team, the way he looks at team building. And a GM who is probably on the other side of a 4-12-1 and record and you're 12-4-1 or something doesn't say that. And I felt like it was a moment of humility where he's saying the way I built this with the, you know, building around a star running back, you know, is probably not the way to go going forward. And I understand what he said when he said, you know, we have to win with average to slightly above average or, you know, QB play. But in this league, most of the time you win with an elite guy. And I do think that if they had that opportunity in the draft to go get someone again, there's no Andrew Luck. There's no Peyton Manning in this draft. But if you can get someone, you can work with them. They can help you, you know, change your franchise. You need to go do it because this quarterback, this is a quarterback's league now. And I think it's always been that way, but I think it's even more so now because of the way the game is set up to pass more. You see, even with JT, I understand he's a great, great player, but even him, there's questions around, should you pay him? You know, and which doesn't happen I mean, when you JT have took over your the guy league at quarterback. You're never going to question. didn't even make the playoffs. He was the single best player at his position by a mile. If you have the single best position 
if you have the single best quarterback by a mile, you win 13 games a year. It almost feels like to me that Ballard has been challenging that notion. He's been trying to fight the notion that you need a star quarterback. And he's been trying to prove that he could build a team around an average quarterback and still win. And that goes back to him being stubborn. And I get it. We're not having this conversation if that guy doesn't walk away in August of 2019. But he did. And you're left with this mess. And the reality is they got to stop sitting on the sidelines. They're going to have to take their shot. And both things are true. Like he says, Ballard says, like, just because you say that we get a quarterback doesn't mean he's the guy. No, it doesn't. Just because you draft a quarterback at four or if you trade up to three or two or one doesn't mean he's the guy. But that doesn't mean you don't take a swing. You need to take a swing because you're sitting on the sidelines and playing this veteran QB route has gotten you nowhere. And the owner's tired of it. The owner's tired of the veterans. I expect them to release Matt, Matt Ryan and Nick Foles and then sign a bridge guy to just kind of fill in. But they're going to draft a quarterback at the top and it's time to see if he can play. And you got to take that risk. And this is the reality. Andrew Luck wasn't a risk. Peyton Manning wasn't a risk. This is how the other half of the league lives. Now the Colts are going to have to take their shot and live with the consequences. But to sit back on the sidelines and just say, you know, what if we get it wrong? That's a that's a bad, shameful, scared way to do this job. He mentioned it was it was an honest answer, but then he's you know he's saying you know I could draft one. You all are gonna no, we're not. No, we're not. We're gonna say you drafted a quarterback. Anybody, now it's know, time for this draft. kid to show what he can but, do. Exactly. And then he was like, "What if he doesn't pan out? Then it's why? Why did you draft this guy?" And that to me is exactly you draft this why guy because you believe bucks. he's the guy. There you go. Like, not because you don't hear, think it could maybe not work out. Exactly. Like I don't want to hear anything about oh, you know, I could do this, I could do that. Hindsight's twenty twenty. It always is. But that's why you get paid handsomely to do the job you do. And that's why. You know, there's 32 other, only other 31 other jobs like that. You know, he talked about basically, you know, this could go wrong or if I draft them, they, it might not work out. Or he, you know, you guys will say, well, why is this kid living up to the hype or the expectations? That's the job. This decision, along with that coaching decision, will basically be his ability to either keep his job for the foreseeable future or not. I think. The most telling moment in all of yesterday, and Ballard answered about 45 questions over about 40 minutes, was when I asked him, have you ever thought about walking away? Has your desire to stay here wavered at all in the last 12 months? And how long was that pause? Five or six seconds, which is a long time in a press conference like this. And he just looked at me. He just stared at me. And then he said, no, I don't want to be anywhere but Indy. But the pause told me more than the words did. And he's been hired to run a team that he hasn't been running the last 12 months. And I am speculating here, but I imagine Chris, as competitive as he is, is frustrated. He got them into this mess. And Jim Mercer did too. Both of their hands are dirty. But the fact that he's been overstepped by his boss the last couple months has to be frustrating. It's not how football teams should be run. I don't care who the owner is. I don't care how many years he's been in this league. It's not how football teams should be run. And he absolutely backed up everything that I have reported, that everybody's reported over the last couple months. When we asked him point blank about Jeff Saturday's candidacy, what did you say in that meeting before you hired him? You know, I voiced my concerns. That's translation. I said, hell no, don't hire this guy. We know what happened. Jim Mercer makes the final decision, and that's not going to change. But I think you're right to make that point that if Jeff Saturday is hired, that's another notch on the belt of Jim Irsay saying, 
you're a GM, you make the draft picks, I make the real decisions. And that frustration has to be building up. And that's just a bad way to run a franchise. Whether Chris Ballard is the right guy to get the Colts through this or not, my stance is if you have a GM in place, let the man make the decisions. If he makes the wrong ones, move on from him. But this meddling is just leading to disaster. And there's no doubt, there's no question, there's no uncertainty that it has made this team even worse. It has made this team even worse and it has left them in a state of disarray, really, where people don't make people don't know who's making the decisions. And really at their worst spot in the 25 years Jim Mercer has been the owner. I don't think that's I don't think anybody out there would disagree. But here we are, James, coaching search. A couple names for you. This is gonna be fun. Chris Ballard said yesterday he's gonna take his time. He said last time when he when he landed on McDaniels first, he sort of had an end in mind when he started, and that was a mistake. Obviously, McDaniels was a mistake. He landed Frank Reich, but not a lot of GMs get to have three coaching searches. So to Ballard's credit, he has some experience here. Now you need to get the right coach. The first candidate, Jeff Saturday. We've talked a lot about this. Let's move on. Aaron Glenn, the Lions defensive coordinator. Ben Johnson, the Lions offensive coordinator, who turned that offense with Jared Goff into one of the most prolific in the league this year. As crazy as that sounds, they were third in total offense. And I think Goff's numbers were like 29-6, and six, which is crazy. Raheem Morris runs the defense for the Rams. Shane Steichen runs the offense for Nick Sirianni in Philadelphia. And Ejiro Evero runs the defense in Denver, which was stellar this year, despite all the problems on the other side of the ball. I'd expect a couple more names to, to leak out. I think the number will be eight or nine when they start these interviews. Jeff Saturday will get an interview. Where do you think this goes, James? I do like the diversity. I guess both like culturally, but also just the, the background. Some of these guys, you got people that have obviously like Raheem Morris, he's been a head coach before, obviously learned from his experience, which it didn't really go that well the first time around. But and then you have like a guy like Ben Johnson, who's very young and in and, 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 and a different type of thinker. And, and again, you saw what he did with that Lions offense that, you know, I think just nationally, everyone kind of locked into last week, you know, last week regular season, we we're all watching basically see a egg because it's the for Aaron Rodgers. And it's like, no, here's this uh, Detroit offense that came to spoil the party. And I think that last drive where they were like on the field doing all this crazy different plays and just pulling every chick out of the bag, it was like, wow, like I've never seen that before. Like, you know, a, a bubble screen looking ladder, I wouldn't recommend it on every play. But just that type of stuff can obviously excite a team. And I do think that, you know, again, these are the type of candidates you want to look at because, again, you have, quite frankly, they have success that they can point to. Like all of these coaches, you know, hey, I was D.C. here. I was all O.C. here. This is what we did. You know, we won a Super Bowl. We won this. And so I'm interested to see if Jim Harbaugh gets leaked to us, you know, or if, you you know, if, if someone is able to break that, you know, he wouldn't touch Chris Bauer wouldn't touch on candidates and stuff like that, which is smart. I wouldn't do that either. I would just let, you know, the, the, the regular, you know, per sources get out there. But I do think that there is a good pool here for them to pick from and to choose. And again, go through a really thorough process. And he said it, he was like, you know, I don't care if it takes till mid February for our sake. I hope it's sooner than that, but he's like, I don't care. We have to get it right. And they do. And I do think that is something where this is also a, a, a unique one because you expect this coach, obviously, to not leave you at the altar like, you know, McDaniels did the first time around. We had to scramble and get Frank Reich. Like, yes, it was a coaching search the second time around, but it wasn't really a full one. This is a full one. You know what's out there. And 
You're going to be competing against other franchises as well. That's the one thing that is, I guess, different from Jeff Saturday than the other candidates is that Jeff Saturday isn't getting other interviews for other head coaching positions. Why so not? Indy really has to just sell to these guys. <laughs> they have to sell to these guys that, like, one, you know, we're serious about this. And two, if you come here, you will have the proper control and you won't get, you know, I guess, Frank Wright to use it as a verb where I step in and just make decisions for you that obviously hamper the team. You use the word diversity and and, and you, what you mean is variation and, and skills and experience and, and approach. And I think that's good. Chris Ballard is not going to tip his hand in terms of what he's interested in. He said, you know, OC, DC, special teams, college, it doesn't matter. Okay, that's fine. That's what you say when you start the coaching search. But they're going to have different off, you know, different opportunities. Aaron Glenn, veteran defensive coordinator, has been with the Saints for a long time, been with the Lions. Ben Johnson is that rising offensive star, you know, that that a lot of teams have been attracted to the last couple of years. Raheem Morris has had coaching experience. Um, You know, Shane Steichen took over that Eagles offense middle of the year last year. And the elevation of Jalen Hurts, and they added some weapons this year. I mean, they, they can beat you in so many ways. The Colts saw that when they played the Eagles back in November. I like that. And and I think it's going to be different what Chris Ballard wants and what Jim Irsay wants. Let's throw out Jeff Saturday because we've already talked about his coaching credentials. Everrow too as well, DC from uh from Denver, who again they're a they're a laughing stock, but their defense really was was top notch all year. Not unlike the Colts were pretty good for like seven games, but the, the Broncos defense yeah. was and great. I believe season, this is his first season. year as defensive coordinator. And again he I mean they had a terrible head coach and Nathaniel Hackett who was unbelievably over his head. So Let's compare the two approaches here. What, is, what does Jim Irsay want? In my opinion, I think he wants an ass kicker. He wants a Mike Vrabel 2.0. That's what he tried to get in Jeff Saturday. A CEO type coach without necessarily one set of expertise. I mean, Jeff Saturday, you could say offensive line, but I mean, it was very clear the last eight games. It's not like Jeff Saturday elevated the offense. The offense was the worst scoring offense in football. And Frank Reich had his role in that early. But do you want this young, unproven guy that's really a gamble, right? A lot of teams have made that gamble. I mean, the Bengals hired Zach Taylor a couple of years ago. He was the QB coach for the Rams, but he was linked to Sean McVay, and they have the guy at quarterback, Joe Burrow, and that changes everything. And I think, you know, that's what I lean towards. I lean towards you need to be thinking about the next five or ten years of this franchise, and you need to plan on hitting on this guy. So let's say you hit on this quarterback. Who do you want to be the head coach that's with him the whole time? I think a lot about this. What if the Colts had hired an offensive coach in 2012? What if they've gone and, and married the head coach with their young star quarterback? Things would have gone differently, I think, with Chuck Pagano and Andrew Luck if they'd hired someone else. But that's speculative and it's impossible to know. But I think you plan on, one, drafting a quarterback at four or even higher, and then who do you want to be grooming and building with this quarterback in mind for the foreseeable future? I'm not saying there aren't great defensive coordinators that, that would be an option, but this is a quarterback league and the Colts have been on the outs in that regard for the most part the last five or six years, ever since 12 walked away. So I think that's where they need to start thinking. And, and Ballard's not going to tip his hand in that regard. But what did he do in 19? Excuse me, in, in 17? He tried to hire Josh McDaniels to marry his offensive mind, a lot of success with Tom Brady in New England, with Andrew Luck, who was coming back from the shoulder. That didn't work out. What did he do? He hired the coordinator who just lifted Nick Foles to a Super Bowl, beating that very Patriots team. So it's an offensive league, and the Colts have the worst offensive in the league, and that's where you start. So that's my thoughts. It'll be really fascinating to see where this goes. It'll be really fascinating to see what they what they decide upon. I think the fans are are unified as unified as they've been. 
They do not want it to be Jeff Saturday. We'll see. He can be a good salesman. The owner likes him. I'm not ruling anything out. But in recent conversations I've had, it certainly feels like it's not as much of a, I don't want to say shoo-in because it shouldn't ever be a shoo-in, but it certainly feels like it's going to be a hard sell, even, even for Jim Irsay. Absolutely. I mean, it was, it was reported that Jim Harbaugh had like a two-hour Zoom interview for the you know, the Denver Broncos head coach job. And, and, and seriously, what can Jeff Saturday walk into an interview room and, and say for two hours? about what he did, what he accomplished, what he can do. What he, I think a lot of it would probably be what he can do if given the chance, like the results that I have. This is like so important. And we never talk about this when we talk about head coaches, but who is on your staff? Like we talk about the individual names, but this is so important. What did Frank Reich do? In a tough situation, hired Eberflus and Sirianni, both of which are head coaches right now. I don't think it would be an easy sell for Jeff Saturday to recruit good coaches here. Because good coaches are going to want to coach for guys, one, that have experience that they've known in the coaching ranks, and two, that they think are going to be there for a while. It's one of the reasons Lovey Smith and, and David Cutcliffe in Houston, I mean, they've been through two head coaches in two years there, and these assistants are just getting funneled through. I think it's essential to walk into a room if you're a head coaching candidate and present, here's my OC, here's my DC. I don't know if Jeff Saturday can do that as well as some other candidates because he hasn't been in the coaching ranks at all until November 8th. And then secondly, you have to have the belief in the guy you're going to work for. And that's a hard sell for Jeff Saturday right now, whether he wants to admit it or not. Yeah. And then the comments again about, well, I wouldn't be an OC. I wouldn't be a DC. I wouldn't be a special teams coordinator. I wouldn't do these things. I don't want those jobs. I just want to be the head man that has to not go over well with everyone. Uh, you know, it might not rub some guys the wrong way, but I would imagine that some of them have to be like, okay, well, look, dude, we all had yeah, to kind of earn Being our, an OC was my dream job. That he might be as that, far as a lot of guys get. I mean, you can look at Parks Frazier. I'm not saying that he should be anyone's OC next season or something like that, but the guy had to grind. Obviously, you know, different paths for him and Jeff Saturday. He didn't play in the NFL. The dude was like, you know, did a bunch of grunt work just to get, you know, an opportunity that he was kind of thrust into this season. And he still had an expedited rise to the position he had for the last eight weeks. That's still abnormal. The longest tenured, like, staff member, or at least on the coaching, that had been here, you know? And so, again, I think that if you're going to sell guys on, hey, come work with me, you have to sell them on the fact that you're, I don't know, like that that you are humble enough to, to kind of know what they've been through and he doesn't know. He doesn't want to know. It's the same thing with GMs. A lot of GMs started out grinding in bad hotels and bad rental cars in low-level college stadiums as grunt scouts in the NFL. Jeff Saturday got to skip the line. We will see. My my rookie season, Zach, oh my goodness. You could not have prepared me more for anything that happened. (laughs) People have been asking me, like I dropped my kids off at school this morning, like, what are you going to do now that the cold season's over? I was like, well, I got a coaching search to cover and then... In my dream world, I, I take a month-long vacation to the Bahamas and turn my phone off, but I'm not that lucky. So we've got a ton to come. We've got a ton to come on The Athletic. And the Colts have to figure out who the next leader of this franchise is, and then they're going to have to figure out who the next quarterback of this franchise is. And I plan to go to some pro days to learn more about Will Levis, Will Levis and, and C.J. Stroud at Ohio State. And, and obviously Bryce Young is, is maybe the top prize, but we got a long way to go, and we got a busy combine coming up in early March as well. So... It's never quiet around here, and that's not going to change. And we love it. And a miserable season has ended, thank the Lord. 
And now we get to see if they can fix the future because there's a lot to fix and it's going to be fascinating. Thanks for listening. Thank you for following along all season with us on The Athletic. It has been a roller coaster to say the least. I could have never imagined this season going the way it did. We started with that game in Houston, nine-point favorites, and we should have known after that game that it was going to be a chaotic disaster. But I would have never foreseen the events of early November, not in a million years. For James Boyd, I'm Zach Kiefer. Thanks for listening. Thanks for responding. Thanks for your guys' reactions and comments and, and thoughts on our work and this season. Busy couple of weeks coming up. Thanks for following along, and we will catch up with you guys next week.